Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvek. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Blue Hen Sports Cage. I'm Brandon Hovack. Just me today as I take you through some of our favorite moments from Blue Hen Sports Cage in 2017. A little scheduling conflict, so we didn't have everybody here in Newark as we're getting ready for the holiday season, but still wanted to bring you something special. And But let's take a look back at some of our favorite moments. End of the year, time to reflect on what we did this year and hopefully uh, you'll have fun rehashing and reliving some of our favorite conversations from Blue Hen Sports Cage, as well as our two podcasts, which are featured right here on this feed, Uncaged with Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert, and the Delaware Football Roundup, which we had throughout the football season this fall with Teddy Gelman and myself. So kick back and relax and relive some of these moments. You might have caught them on their first go around on Blue Hen Sports Cage or the other two shows, or maybe you're listening to them for the first time. Either way, we hope that you enjoy our look back at 2017. And as always, thank you very much for listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Without any further ado, we'll start off with a few of our favorite moments from Blue Hen Sports Cage this past fall. We have to start with the news out of the University of Delaware. They had the festival on the green today, the Delaware First Festival. And we now have an idea what the stadium and athletic renovations will look like. As I mentioned moments ago in my update, they are expected to be announced at halftime of Saturday's game against Albany. But the renderings, which are the designs, are already up, up uploaded online. So we have an idea, an updated stadium, a state-of-the-art facility, they're calling it, that'll be right in front of the stadium to prep the student-athletes for post-college. So, Brandon, Amid, happy to be back in the cage this week and a good story to start with today to get to a story that we've been talking about for a very long time now, feeding in with the growth of the athletic department. And now we finally have an idea what it's going to look like. Well, yeah, I think first and foremost, I don't think this team has a great FBS aspirations right now. They just want to dominate the FCS and kind of move up and recruit the players here, get some of those three and a half, four, four and a half star recruits and what some of these facilities talked about and you want to talk about the um, football stadium in general uh, I love the the drawings of the press box and the media for for, for the media uh, being part of the radio station and all that I'm a little mad I didn't get that before now I'm getting a little <laughs> old and on my way out so I won't get a chance to enjoy those 
um, those fancy buildings. But again, I think it's good. I think it's great. I think UD is definitely on the come up. Um, you, you saw Chrissy Raywalk and what she did, our athletic director, what she did um, for this university, some of the moves uh, she made, some of the people she brought in. So I think she's doing the right thing by doing this. Um, you didn't really get into the figures too much. I think it was sixty million, right? Mm-hmm. Or you may have gotten into no, it. No, but, I didn't. So thank you for bringing that up. Sixty million specifically just to the football stadium alone. If I'm, uh, I if think my it's for the football for, stadium and the athletics. And the athletics center. So okay. the athletics projects. Right. And then again, somewhere in the seven hundred fifty dollar million dollar range for just everything in general, what the school is doing. But this is definitely a part of it. And again, whether you like it or not, I know some people that are non athletes. You know, will always have a problem with this and. It's an interesting um, debate or I guess something just to talk about um, with the sports. But again, football and basketball, what they mean to a school and I guess what they could mean to the university moving forward. I don't think it's a bad deal and I think it's it's a good move moving forward. I already see some of it on my timeline, Instagram, Twitter, people talking about, well, why are they putting this money into a program that can't even fill the stadium as it's presently constructed? So there is that side to it, although these – renovations are more so oriented to modernizing the stadium as opposed to expanding it. But that question still remains, which I think is a valid point. Um, But at the same time, it has been a very long time coming. It's been since 1975 that Delaware Stadium has seen any major changes. It's pretty crazy when you go back and watch some of the film, like uh, in the CAA feature a few weeks ago where they're showing film of Omar Cuff and Joe Flacco and even further back than that, Delaware Stadium looks identical to how it does now in those pictures, even though the players and the pads all look like they're 20, 30 years ago because they are. So in my opinion, it's been a long time coming. This is a a step in the right direction for Delaware. It it is a lot of money to pour into a stadium and athletic center. But to me, it also is just a small fraction of what Delaware wants to do on a larger scale. That's $750 million dollars talked about to this Delaware First campaign as a whole, to which the athletics portion is just one prong of like seven or eight different um, uh, objectives. So it is a lot of money, but it, in the in the larger perspective, it's only a fraction of what Delaware really wants to do. As far as we're concerned here, talking sports more specifically, I think it's a step in the right direction. So you talk about the, the seven things. You, you have the athletic aspect of it. And then we have the Biden Initiative, Graduate College, Innovation and Entrepreneurship, Engagement Colleges, and Student and Faculty Support. And all of this is available at DelawareFirst.udel.edu backslash priorities. Backslash the cage. That's how you you find us. This podcast will be available uh, later on tonight into tomorrow. But this is where they got all the specifics about what this is and – you get you got it exactly. Seven fifty is the total. Athletics is only a small fraction. So just to reiterate for anybody who's just joining us who wasn't with us a few minutes ago, there are a few parts to the athletic renovation. The athletic center is what they are calling a one stop shop, a state of the art facility that they are going to be according to the renderings, be placing they will be building this just in front of the main gates to the stadium, and in this center will be a student success center, health and well-being, a lot of emphasis on health and well-being, obviously, strength and conditioning, and then prepping for post-college. And then we have the stadium renovation. So there's, we're only at phase one. Once they, once they get construction going for phase one, they will announce the follow-up phases. So we wonder maybe in the follow-up phases, 
Are they talking about seat expansion? Possibly. But for now, what it is, as far as the fan experience, I, I don't see too much added. Um, yeah. with, with I mean, the ex- there's the section, the three sections in the middle of the home side are going to get chair backs. So they're not going to be specific bleachers. But outside of that, you know, the typical fan doesn't really worry about the press box. And that's that's the biggest change that's coming to the stadium. It is a good uh, in terms of the aesthetic. Looking yeah. at looking at a nice press box will and be big when you compare it with other stadiums, specifically JMU in the CAA. And we should also mention that as part of the athletic center and that press box, which will kind of work together to be at the top of the stadium, there will also be a new um, club, which will be for those high donors, those high rolling season ticket owners. So those people will be affected by it. It looks to me, based off the renderings, like a souped up version of the Bob Carpenter Club which is now um, attached to the basketball arena and overlooks the stadium from that end zone. Instead, it looks like it will be more so on the home side with perhaps better sight lines and overall more to do inside. Well, you mentioned JMU, Teddy, and and we're not really way too off on that. I know JMU also did uh, renovations close to the same dollar amount uh, not too long ago. But again, they also seat roughly 29,000, 24,000. And Delaware seats around the same. I, 22. I believe, 22. Um, again, they have a consistent streak of, I think, 16,000, so they're not filling that up. I think the last time they filled that up, it was like a Temple game or something years ago. but Like the 70s or something. Set, like 1972 or something against mm-hmm. Temple. But again, similar numbers to JMU, and JMU is you know, supposedly the best in the CAA or the best in um, FCS. So again, we're not too off. So I kind of like uh, Brandon's point on um, it's not like, a whole makeover. It's just it's just a little facelift. Um, you know, they're not starting from scratch or anything. They're just add, adding small details. And then they're also doing their part on uh, recruiting the the people that are or the kids that still may be in high school that are interested in coming. And um, that little facility is kind of a deal, deal breaker where they can come in and they can study. They have their own thing that they know that is just for athletes only, and that might help them in the future. So they're doing a little bit of everything. And I think that. It, I mean, again, look, with the dollar amount, I'm always going to be a little stingy. That's probably just the way I came up. But I think that they're doing the best they can, and I don't mind the move at all. And we were sort of talking about the Athletic Center before the show as that recruiting tool. So whereas, you know, it's a lot of money, it's kind of what a lot of these schools probably feel they have to do to keep pace. Once a school that's similar to Delaware size gets something like that performance center and the updated press box and so forth, but especially that performance center where there's the gym, there's all the services for the athletes. You feel like you have to match that if you're Delaware in order to be competitive in the recruiting field. Obviously more goes into it, coaches, location, education, so forth. But if you said that's not a big ploy, you'd be lying. It is a pretty big deal to have those facilities. And you see schools on the larger stage have, you know, you know, we talk about the Texas locker rooms earlier this year big and big and big to keep wowing these high school seniors to come to your school and Delaware getting a little bit more competitive in that aspect too with this. Well, I, I do find it hard to believe that this will be it. There's going to be more. Because At least they're probably hoping there's more because you have to keep getting the get funding them, if to they keep get going. The money. Yeah. I'm not sure if you saw, but they have a thing. So on this website, if you go to the the progress tab on this Delaware First website, I'm not sure how how accurate this is. But if you go down to the campaign progress, they are three quarters of the way through this. Again, I don't know what these numbers are, how far through. 
But this is this campaign was officially launched, I guess, today. Maybe I don't know. I would guess with the festival, at least to the public, the, to the public, yeah. and then a lot of people, as far as students go, just kind of hearing the student feel today was what the heck is this? Students were at the yeah. green. They're like, oh, I'm here to get free stuff. I don't know what this is. It's a campaign to get money, not only for athletics, but also for the grad school, all this other stuff that President Asanis is looking to do. And he has poured a lot of not only money, but also investment into the athletic department. Him and Raywalk work very closely. Something Chrissy Raywalk said today at the festival was the idea of student engagement, her working with Jose Luis Riera. So there's a lot of different things going on here, and this is just one aspect of it. And you think if they get to this amount, the one thing I was trying to find out earlier was if there's a specific deadline that they get this. Yeah, there's no timetable Probably, Probably a year. That That's typically what they do for these kinds of things. And then once you get it, you can progress, you can progress into phase two, et cetera. Uh, but it's almost like Delaware Stadium is that last aspect. We've seen the Bob Carpenter Center, the Carpenter Sports Building, the Field House, all have changes, renovations, upgrades, creations, destroys, whatever, mm-hmm. in the last for several better years. For, worse, for better changes. or for worse. And so now Delaware Stadium is getting up to it. So I think for the program in general, forget the money amount. This is not only good, it's also somewhat necessary. Mm-hmm. Overdue. I would use that word. Overdue especially when you combine it with frustration that has mounted with the lack of on-field performance. If you got this great stadium and you lose, well, at least you got one of the two, but the stadium has not been updated. The team has not been good. Uh, jokingly, people probably will feel bad about the the upgrade of the bathroom. I was about to bring that the, up. The, the, How the... do you guys feel about the <laughs> P-wall going away? Is it tradition or is it disgusting? I, I think it's disgusting. I, I want to hear from you, Amid. What do, you, what do you think about that? Um, I usually go for the 90-degree angle. I go for the corner, so I'm blocked TMI, off. TMI, um, it's, it's You can just corner yourself off. I just You get stage fright. You just can't go stage in there. Fright. It gets a little scary. <laughs> so I go for the corner where I feel like I'm blocked off and no one can see me. So that's that's my thought process on it. I mean, that was a, a very known aspect right. of this stadium. I, I, I'm interested to see how many yeah. people are upset about so that. So a waste of water. <laughs> An infinite waste of water. take a chance to take a moment to go into some NFL and in the National Football League there is always a time now as we enter week five to see who's for real there are some teams really one team I should say that is undefeated and that is the Kansas City Chiefs and then there are some teams that have yet to win a game the Browns the Chargers the 49ers am I missing anybody can I just the say Giants. the Chargers the Giants, thank you can I just say the Chargers are the best undefeated or un Loss team, I guess you just said it. The opposite. They, they have a zero Un-win in the win team column. team that I've ever seen. Unwin team. I mean, that's a, that's a solid 0-4 team. It's Well, the Giants are 0-4 too. Uh, so that's true, that's, but still. Well, the, the Chargers just happen to always lose yeah. when it comes down to it. But and anyway, yes, I think the, the Chargers and the Giants. And this contender and pretender segment coming at a very ideal time now with a quarter of the season done. So it's very important that we get this in now. Exactly, and it is very important because these there there are some teams right now sitting at three and one that 
are have played good football, but is it a product of who they've played and whether they've played somebody poor, a poor team or whether they're a good team? So again, Chiefs, the only undefeated team left at 4-0 after they took care of the Redskins Monday night. And then the Giants, Chargers, Browns, and 49ers, all 0-4. What a mess in New York with the Giants right now. I guess you can't really be surprised in Cleveland and San Fran. Chargers, yeah. I mean, they probably should have won a game that... that Earlier this year, thought they might have been able to knock out the Eagles on the road, but the Eagles, a good a good game for them. That was a home game. That's right, MLS Stadium. They can't even fill it up in uh, Los Angeles. So let's start with the Eagles. Then they're three and one. They have beaten the Chargers, the Redskins, and the Giants, and they lost to the Chiefs. Three and one. Contender or pretender? I'm gonna go first. I'll say I'm gonna say they're pretenders here. Three and one. Exact same mark they were at. Last year, again, I know I'm a Philly fan, a Philly faithful. Please don't be angry at me. But again, this team, a lot of people would agree, is a year or even maybe two years ahead of schedule. They have a good quarterback, good thing going with Carson Wentz. But again, still a lot, a, a few holes that need to be filled, not a lot. This team is still in a very competitive NFC East with still a very good team in the New York Giants that's sitting at 0-4. So still a lot of a ver- moves. A very good team. Not a very good team, but a good a, a team with a lot of talent. I think we can agree on that. Not a, gr- a team that'll a make the playoffs. Team. Not, a pl- not a team that'll make the playoffs, but again, they still have to play the Giants one more time. They played them tight, and they're probably going to play them tight again. So again, a very competitive Giants team and a very competitive NFC East team. I don't think the Eagles are ready just quite yet, pretenders. I'm going to put the contender tag on there solely for the fact that I don't think the division is going to get more competitive as the season goes on. Uh, the Giants are non-factors in anything the Eagles do. But you, Carson Wentz has improved every single game that he's stepped on the field. He's gotten better. They have LeGarrette Blount, and they're starting to figure out how to use him. Brandon and I talked a couple of shows ago that they don't, they're not using LeGarrette Blount correctly. They're starting to use LeGarrette Blount correctly. He had a 68-yard run with one of the cleanest stiff arms you're ever going to see this NFL season. They're using him correctly. Wendell Smallwood stepping up in the backfield, using Alshon Jeffrey a little more than they did before. They have a, a very good tight end in Zach Ertz. Their defense is not actually that bad. I think they're going to be the contender. I think they're actually going to win this division. I just don't know how far they can get in the playoffs, but what we're talking Love about right it. now is just the season. Love it. I think they're going to be a contender. I don't think they're a contender in the NFC, meaning I don't think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. They are they are tied for the best record in the NFC at 3-1, and one, but I do think they're a contender because of what's happened in the division right now. The Cowboys have problems. The Giants are a mess. And the Redskins are improved. Tough one. They lost to the Chiefs. But this division, you got three teams in it right now. And looking at the Eagles' schedule moving forward, next four weeks, Arizona, Carolina, Washington, San Fran. You would think that they need to take two of those or three. They can win all four. There's there's no reason to believe well, they can't win any of them. Well, the, what I'm saying is, is that... Arizona's going to play them tough. That's a tough Arizona team. They go to Carolina. They'll be the underdog there. And then they face Washington, and Washington has improved since week one when the Redskins lost to the Eagles. And then hosting 49ers, you would hope that you'd win that. But then they have Denver and uh, Dallas, and then they still get Seattle and Los Angeles, the Rams on the schedule. So this is not an easy slate, but I do think that they're going to be competitive. They have an improved defense, and it's been impressive to see that so far and the development of Carson Wentz and some help in the receiving game that he did not have last year. Let's go to the team we just mentioned, or I just mentioned, in the South. The Carolina Panthers, who just knocked off the New England Patriots to improve to 3-1, and one, and now are tied with the Atlanta Falcons for leading the NFC South. Pretender or contender? Panthers definitely contenders. They still have 
the main guy, Cam Newton. I know some things have changed since our last Super Bowl appearance, but Cam Newton's still there. Uh, Coach Rivera is still there. This is still a very good team with a very solid defense. A couple of good rookies contributing. I would not be surprised if they make a deep run in the playoffs. But for now, I'm just going to pick the Panthers winning their division. I like them. They are contenders. I think they're contenders too. I was very big on the Panthers before the season. Greg Olson goes down, which is a huge blow. But they do beat the Patriots, which from the beginning of the season, we we would say that like, wow, that's impossible. But the Patriots' defense is Swiss cheese. Like, they are very porous out there. It's very tough for them to even contain Cam Newton, who had the lowest completion percentage through the first three weeks. How much can they rely on Tom Brady? That'll be seen, to, and we'll find out. But you have Cam Newton, who we know is a Super Bowl quarterback. He's talented. Jonathan Stewart and Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. But you have Luke Keekley on the defensive end. Luke Keekley is one of the biggest impact players up there with, like, your J.J. Watts, your Josh Normans, the players that can take the game like, all on their own. Part of that Super Bowl roster. He, uh, one of the biggest reasons why they were there. Yeah. I think they're contenders. I think that their division is tough for them to win, but I do think they're going to be contenders. I'm torn on this one because just a couple weeks ago, they got lit up by the Saints, and they only put 13 points on the Saints' defense, which is terrible. But then they go to Foxborough, and they beat the Patriots. However, the Patriots' defense, as you just mentioned, is terrible, too. The worst in the league. Yeah, so I'm torn on this. They also just be- they beat the Bills in a tough one on week two, and the Bills are one of the more inconsistent teams in football over the last couple of years. I'm going, I'm going pretender. I, I don't think they'll win this division, and I think there's too much talent in the North between the Vikings, Lions, and Packers, and in the East with the Cowboys, Eagles, and Redskins for this team to make the playoffs. They're going to be competitive, but to me, they're a pretender. Let's go to the Bills right now. Three and one. They have found a way to. Get some wins. They beat the Falcons last week, and you feel like the Bills always seem to get wins against good teams, but then they'll go and lose to a bad team the following week. 3-1, and one, though, a good start, and they are in sole possession of first place in the AFC East contender or pretender. I'm not going to explain this one. They're pretenders. That's all. They're, just, they're the Bills. You got Tyrod Taylor. I mean, come on. No depth in really any position. They have Shady McCoy. Okay, I like that. But still, these Bills are pretenders. They're not going anywhere this season. Uh I'm going to say contender for the sole purpose of the division. They, It's going to be the Bills, and the Jets are now no longer a free win. They're an easy win, but they're not a free win because they're playing a little better. The Patriots seem like mortal now. They seem like they can be beat. I think that the Bills have a valid shot sitting at 3-1, and one. They're figuring out their new offense. They're utilizing Charles Claymore. The loss of Sammy Watkins isn't really hurting them. LaShawn McCoy is still LaShawn McCoy. Uh, I mean, you have, like, Micah Hyde blocking passes. EJ Gaines, probably your top cornerback. They could be a team that, if we look down the stretch, they could be fighting for the division or winning the division. I think they're a contender. They have given up the least amount of points in the NFL to date so far. Only 54 of them. I think they're a contender. I think that the Patriots are going to still find a way to win this division because Belichick is going to fix that secondary and the and the defense. I don't think it's going to remain this bad, even though we are already at week five. But I also don't know how they'll get in the playoffs with what we are seeing in, this, I mean, Tennessee and Houston. Those are two competitive teams. And then in the West, depending on what the Raiders do, because they have gone from really good to question marks all over the place. I think they're a, con- uh, I think they're a pretender 
However, if they can pick up a couple wins in a row now against bad teams, then I will call them a contender because the Bills always seem to play up to their competition and down to their competition. So I, I think they're a pretender. Yeah, I, it, I'm just, again, solely because of the division. I, I just think it's a division that the Bills can probably win. The other team, and this I think out of all the ones that we have on our list here, is probably the most intriguing of them. The Los Angeles Rams are 3-1. and one. The Rams have now beaten the Cowboys in Dallas, and they got a huge game. We'll pick it later on in the show this weekend against the Seahawks. The Rams are in first place in their division right now at 3-1. and one. A completely revamped offense under new head coach Sean McVay. Contender, pretender, Los Angeles. I love this new look Rams. They have Todd, the new Todd Gurley. I don't know where this guy came from. You have, they're using Sammy Watkins. Jared Goff is, has, is posting a 70 QBR. It's not elite, but it's good for Jared Goff, and I think it's just what they need. Their defense is pretty pretty good. They're pretty tough. They have the most uh, points scored per game in the NFL. They're number one in that. But they run into a lot of tough defenses. They hit Seattle. They hit Jacksonville. Then they go to the Giants, Minnesota, and then Seattle again a little later. They have tough defenses coming up, but their aerial attack of Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins might be enough to draw some coverage so Todd Gurley can do his thing. I think they're going to be a contender. I'm going to go pretender on this one. I know I haven't had much of to give to contenders, but they're also pretenders. I, I'm all on the golf train. I think, honestly, I have to put my biases aside. I actually love him as one of the second-year guys. Again, he didn't get his full uh, extent of his opportunity in his rookie season because of um, the little coaching carousel that was happening. But Jared Goff is going to be a really good quarterback playing in a pro-style offense. He looks like he knows what he's doing out there. Again, not the best numbers, but let him get a full season under his belt. I think he's doing doing great things. Again, I've mentioned it before, the term a year ahead of to, uh, ahead of schedule, and I think the Rams are just a year ahead of schedule. They'll be contenders next year, but again, uh, a, a game that they have to take care of uh, at home against the Seattle Seahawks, which they usually uh, historically have taken care of. So let's see how they do here. But I think they're pretenders for now. This is really tough for me because looking at their schedule, they beat a really bad Colts team week week one. They lost to the Redskins, but we've seen how the Redskins played against Kansas City. That That's an improved team. And then they gave up 39 points to the 49ers, and they gave up 30 points to Dallas. I love the offense. Defensively, though, I don't know, and I think this game at Seattle will prove a lot. If they can beat Seattle, although my as I say this, I, I remind myself that the Seahawks don't know how to win on the road. So when are we really going to know about this team? Because then they go Jacksonville, Arizona, New York. So they don't face any great teams really looking at the schedule for the rest of the year. You look at the schedule for the St. Louis Rams, they don't play any great teams. Sure, they face tough defenses, but they don't face any great teams. Based on strength of schedule, I'm going to say they're a contender. I, just, I like the offense. Well, when you, <clears throat> you have a, a young, a new young coach, and when they played against the 49ers and the 49ers put up points— it's it's not like your Andy Reid type of coach, your Bill Belichick type of coach is going to be like, all right, bunker down, let's stay strong. This this is McVay. He's going to be like, all right, let's gun it, aim for the end zone, let's have a high-scoring game. They're, the, yes, it was a high-scoring game, but I think it was planned to be that. Once they saw that the 49ers found a way into the end zone, they just decided to make it into a shootout, and the the Rams have a much better shootout team than the 49ers do. I'll, yeah, I agree with that also right there. And I think the last one we have to talk about is the Chiefs, though. I, I don't. 
yes, they're four and zero. They're they're a very scary team. I do they slow down? They have Tyreek Hill. They have Kareem Hunt. This is they easy. Have Travis one. Kelsey. No, they're contenders. I think they're okay. contenders. That's what I was wondering. But do do they slow down in a tough division? The Broncos mm-hmm. are doing well. The yes, the Raiders have slowed down a little bit, but. Do they kind of hit a wall with all these young talent guys, these young explosive guys? Does there become a point where Alex Smith can't hit that 40-yard pass? But as of now, they are contenders, and I do see them contending, maybe even getting out of the first round of the postseason if they get there. Agreed contenders as well. The 1-3 and three mark for Andy Reid with the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs is a little bit concerning. I want to see if he can finally get a quality win there at Arrowhead, possibly with some home field advantage. But they have some weapons, and I like this team. Don't know the status about Alex Smith, but... I know that he's going to give this team his all. I, I like this team to hopefully make a Super Bowl run. This is one of my picks for this AFC Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I agree. They're a contender in the division, favorite in the division, and I say they're a Super Bowl contender too. Derek Carr going down too, so this that's is a big, big one. for this division. And I think I think the because Pittsburgh's got some problems as well, and nobody in the South has emerged as this dominant team. And then we saw the problems with the Patriots. To me, Denver is actually the biggest threat to Kansas City, I think the biggest threat to the Chiefs is in their own division. Because to me, these high-flying attacks in New England and Pittsburgh and Houston, like there are some defensive problems with these teams, but the Chiefs have such a solid defense. And I think the game Monday night against Washington showed a lot because while the Redskins could have won that game and, and it, they're an improved team, the Chiefs have finished games. They have finished, and they have not done that in the last couple of years. I mean, yes, the, the Broncos seem to be their biggest threat, but... Don't sleep on the South. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have proved that they're better than they were last year. Deshaun Watson has come out of nowhere and has played exceptionally well for what he's been expected to do. The Titans, we have hope that maybe Mariota can pick it up. We talked about their boosted-up receiving core. The Colts, if they get Andrew Luck back, that's a new face of a team. I don't think any returning player up to this point, besides maybe David Johnson— can affect the team and try to turn them around more than Andrew Luck can. T.Y. Hilton goes from a like wide receiver number 30 to wide receiver number 2 or 3 in a matter of who's playing behind center. The South can be a competitive division. I think if the Steelers match up against the Chiefs, I think the Steelers can win that for the sole purpose that I think the Steelers have more firepower, which is bold to say against the Kansas City team that has shown to have the firepower. But with Bell, with Ben Roethlisberger, with Antonio Brown, I think it's going to be... They're, they're going to be another competitive team in the AFC. On Blue Hen Sports Cage, we have the privilege of interviewing University of Delaware athletes and coaches on a pretty regular basis, and here wanted to feature two of our favorite conversations from the past year. First, we'll go back to our Trevant Patio Live show on August 31st, where Jake and Teddy interviewed first-year Delaware women's basketball head coach Natasha Adair. And then we'll listen to a bit of our long chat just before the beginning of the men's basketball season with second-year head coach Martin Inglesby of the Blue Hens. And now we'll shift gears for a little bit and talk about one of the later fall sports. We'll talk about the women's basketball team, joined by now head coach Natasha Adair. So glad to have you, Coach. Glad to be here. So, Coach, you came over from Georgetown, where you were for a little while, yes. and a team that 
face off against Delaware in yep. recent seasons. So you're familiar with a little bit, I assume, campus in, in visiting. What was your, uh, I guess, initial reactions? Um, how has it been to get started here? How's it been? Oh, it's been a whirlwind, but um, I will tell you the biggest part of this transition has been the people. Um, you can tell that the UD community, the UD family is real. And um, just in this transition, I mean, the players, anytime there's change, there's a little bit of nerves. I'm sure that, you know, change is uncomfortable in a lot of ways, but uh, the players have really made this easy as well because when you go around the room and, you know, we were in the locker room and I said, why Delaware? And as a unit, they said, obviously, the integrity. Um, most importantly, they said each other, my teammates. And then they said the championship mindset. And so when I said why Delaware, it just fit. And to go off that point, you said the players mm-hmm. talked to you about why Delaware was a good fit for you. Yes. Why do you think mm-hmm. that you're a good fit for Delaware? Well, when, you, when, when I talked to President Asanis and, and I talked to our athletic du- director, Chrissy Raywalk, we talked about that one-team mindset and doing it the right way. Um, and being with people in a university, in a community of value, of substance. And, and they are very invested, not only in the women's basketball program, but the university, the community as a whole. And so just that mindset of, of one, of winning, of championships, and then student-athlete welfare is important. Uh, that goes along the lines of, of why me and why now. So you came in here. Um a few months ago now, and you've had an opportunity to see how the team was last season. Mm-hmm. Did you at all look at, because t- this is a question that we've, we talked to Coach Inglesby about this, right. we talked to Sarah Matthews about this, and both of them said, no, I didn't look at tape at all from last season because I didn't really want to know how that team was. I wanted to start fresh. Did you at all look at tape on the team the previous season? Well, we played them when I, when I was at Georgetown, so I already had that in my mind. Um, but to, to, just to speak to that, I, I didn't. Um, because of the same, same reasons. You want to form your own opinion. Your, your, my style of play is going to be completely different. My philosophy is going to be different. And, and so just seeing who they are, I want it to be in the gym with them to make those evaluations versus film. Taking those evaluations into like a new standpoint, what about looking at face value, this yep. roster, mm-hmm. what kind of stood out to you? What kind of made you say, like, oh, all right, man. this is a good place for me to be. This is a good roster for me to coach. The cupboard is not there. Um, and I remember you, you said that back in your press conference. It's not. Um, but what stands out is their grit. These are young ladies who know how to win, um, but they're tough. They work extremely hard. As a coach, I haven't had to beg for effort. I haven't had to beg for just that passion and that hunger and that desire to just be in the gym. And it, it's music to my ears because as a coach, you, you get to come in and, and really coach, but they, they are so driven by their work ethic. If I had to pick that one thing, it's just their, their hunger to work. Well, you graduate two of the most notable players in the program, and Hannah Jardine and Erica Brown, and a number of freshmen come in, and you have the incoming sophomores right. from last season. So I would call it a young roster, even though you do have some junior seniors. Uh, how do you work with a young roster, particularly noting, it, additionally, mm-hmm. that you bring in a staff that you are very familiar with, yes. and you bring in people that you have worked with? So do you think at all that veteran staff can play into the work with that young team? How does that connection work? Absolutely. The biggest thing is establishing that trust um, and, and knowing that we are pretty much a young team, but it's still integral players 
that, that have performed and have performed, you know, at a high level. And, and so with my staff, you know, whenever you're taking over a, a situation, a program, we don't have to micromanage. We can kind of finish each other's sentences, and, and the staff is so versed. And, and, you know, my point guard coach is also a former player uh, who I did coach at Georgetown, and, and she just has an experience of being a very touted point guard that she can kind of transfer that to my players. Uh, one of my forwards, the one that, that will help with the forwards, I coached her at Wake Forest. So, again, as former student-athletes of mine, now coaches, they know that language, and, and they can speak the student-athletes' language as well. But uh, there's so many different pieces on the team and, and just the versatility in which we will play with, um, whether we want to go small ball, whether we want to go big, whether we want to slow it down, speed it up. There, there's just a wide range of ways that we can compete and, and just be hard to guard. And looking at it as more of a uh, youth, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Right. They're, they're really eager and they're really fresh and have that energy to play, but at the same time they lack that like, real in-game experience. Mm -hmm. But three of the sophomores, right. Bailey Cargo, Abby Gonzalez, and Rebecca Lawrence, mm -hmm. all got some big chunks of playing time right. last season. Right. Do you see them continuing to work with the freshmen, or do you see them kind of fitting in their own way? Or what do you see of these three sophomores as they try to look into the season? I see them being in more of a leadership role. Um, I, I see the freshmen being able to look at them and look to them for that leadership. And that's one thing that we talked about, you know, with that group, but also with Nicole um, and Makeda. I, I mean, those are two players, again, senior, junior, that also have that experience. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that they have done a phenomenal job since I've been here just in that leadership role, leading the way. And, and the freshmen, again, I, I'm excited about them as well, just watching them in, in summer school and summer session. They're going to have integral roles as well. I'm a coach. I, I, don't, I don't shorten my roster, you know, just based on experience. Um, I think everyone has a role. And so I will go pretty deep into my roster. And, and I think that expressing that to them uh, gives all of them hope. But there's no hierarchy right now because I have to learn them all. So I think coming in, everyone is just giving me their best right now. We are talking to women's basketball head coach Natasha Adair here on Blue Hen Sports Cage. You talk about the freshmen and that you don't consider that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. What stands out about them? Any skills, any attitude? What stands out about these, this group of freshmen? Well, as a unit, again, they come in very knowledgeable of the game. You know, if I had to pick a couple of just attributes, I mean, their basketball IQ is off the charts. I mean, you can see it just being in the gym for those, this five-week summer session that we're just coming off of. Uh, they know the game. I love the fact that we can stretch the floor, open the floor up. Um, you're going to see us take a lot of shots and make a lot of shots this season for sure. But I, I just love their versatility. Uh, they are freshmen only in class, but I think after conditioning and training and, and, and giving them that just framework of, of being able to compete, you, you will see them come on pretty strong quickly. Looking at it from, I mean, when I watch the games, when I cast the games, I looked at the now sophomores with the mentality, like, they're my age. They're the people that I am going through class with yes. and seeing them. Yes. And it, like you said, the ability to slow down the game, mm -hmm. speed up the game. Mm -hmm. the, the three that we talked about, Cargo, Gonzalez, and Lawrence, right. they all have the ability to follow that scheme. They do. You, Rebecca Lawrence went against, at some points, she was up against the center. Right. And then at other <laughs> points, running down the court, she's following like the point guard, the small right. forward, trying right. to chase down the court. Right. Do you want to kind of push that mentality on mm -hmm. them where they need to learn to do everything? Or like we saw 
sometimes less with Hannah Jardine, where she was just on the wing hitting mm-hmm. threes. Do you push them towards the more branch out mentality, the more focus on your skills? Well, obviously, like I'll coach to their strength and put them on the floor where they're going to have comfort, where they're going to feel very confident. But we talk about our versatility. The fact that, I mean, Becca's, you know, six foot six one, to where I don't want her pigeonholed in just being a post player or a forward. She can shoot the three ball. Mm-hmm. And so our post players will be interchangeable. Uh, our wings will be interchangeable. If we go small, it depends on, on who's going to be the four or the five. So we really don't talk numbers in the gym. We work on developing that skill. The whole team works on ball handling. The whole team works on shooting the three. The whole team works on if there's a switch, if there's a mismatch, do I post, do I pop. So just give, coaching the game versus coaching the position. I want them to be ready in any area on the floor to where there's confidence and there's comfort. And now part of our conversation back on November 2nd with Delaware men's basketball head coach, Martin Inglesby. Coach, you brought in three freshmen this year in Kyrie Walker, Kevin Anderson, and Ryan Allen. They combined for 36 points last night, albeit exhibition game. But what have you seen from them in your time prior to that game? What do they bring as a collective and individually and specifically what they bring last night? You know, one, I think they're really talented. Um, you know, I've enjoyed getting to work with them and really coach them. You know, they want to be coached. Um, you know, they're good students of the game. I think they all really complement each other and they bring something different to the table. You know, Kevin Anderson played 42 minutes last night, didn't turn the ball over there. He's a tall guard. He's a facilitator, can really pass the ball easy to play with. You know, Ryan Allen came off the bench and, you know, he's kind of instant offense. I kind of refer to him a little bit of the microwave when he comes off the bench. You know, he had 19 points in 38 minutes. He can really score the basketball and we need him to do that. You know, for us to be able to get into maybe more of the 70s and 80s, you know, he's got to have the green light. And then Kyrie Walker is little bit of a jack-of-all-trade, versatile forward, a guy that you could play on the wing, a guy that you could play on the front line. He's probably our most athletic basketball player, really brings some athleticism to the table, and kind of his role for us that we've tried to build uh, build up is, is as a defensive stopper, right? A guy that can guard the ball, can play off the ball, really take away some good offensive talents. And, you know, I love that trio. They're going to play a lot of minutes. I think that's why we got them, because of the opportunity. And, you know, they're really going to be with along with Ryan Daly and Jacob Cushing, kind of the future of our basketball program. Are those three of the guys that are going to help you keep Ryan on the bench a little bit longer <laughs> and have to play him 40 minutes? You know, I played him 44 minutes last <laughs> night. I saw the stat sheet after. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> um, you know, we did have some guys out with some injuries, but I, I have to do a better job of pacing him through a season. You know, last year it was really hard for us to take him out of the games. I, I think we were in a little bit of an NBA mode where he played games and you know, we, we, we stretched, we shot a little bit. We weren't practicing a whole lot with our personnel last year uh, with the way the season fell, and, and I do think i got to do a better job of, of getting him more of a rest around some media timeouts so he's more in the 34 to 36-minute range because we're going to wear him down. And at the end of last year, I think the best thing that we did when we came back after the regular season ended was take – three days off before we went down to Charleston for the CAA tournament because, most importantly, he needed some rest. Anthony Mosley needed some rest, and we were fresh as, you know, re-energized. We kind of recharged the batteries for a couple of days and went down there and a lot better frame of mind and, you know, just a little more healthy. And looking at the stat sheet, like you mentioned, two players, Ryan Daly and Kevin Anderson, were the only two players to eclipse 40 minutes, Daly with 44 and Anderson with 42. Uh, the team shot 53% from the three-point line, which is – a 
23 I'll shots. I'll take it any night. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a number that you're not going to run away to the bank with, but not a number you're going to kick away anytime mm-hmm. soon. Is that more of a focused game plan? Because last year, there was, it was a kind of, it was a balanced offense. You had both the backcourt doing what they need to do best and whoever you need to put down low were doing what they need to do. Was this kind of a exhibition mentality of let's just work on it, work on the three ball, work on moving the ball? Or is this something overall team-wise that you're starting to construct, kind of building around those players? Like well, I think, you know, for us <clears throat> in the preseason and le- leading up to last night, we want to try to play a little faster. You know, we were really playing slow last year. I thought that was the, the, the gave us the, the most opportunities to be able to win and, and be competitive in our league. You know, with our personnel this year and a little more depth, you know, we want to try to play more up-tempo. But, you know, you have, you have more skilled basketball players, and, and that's an area where we're going to let those guys play. We give them the green light. We want them to be in attack mode. I thought Kevin Anderson gave us a terrific boost shooting the basketball to start the game. And we have versatile guards where Ryan Allen can handle the ball, Kevin Anderson can handle the ball, Ryan Daly can be a facilitator. I think you put good players on the floor, you kind of teach them our system and how we want to play, and you let them make good decisions. So, you know, we, we're going to continue to give those guys the green light. Obviously, it helps when two of your freshmen shoot, I think, nine of 12 or, or you know, 11 from the three-point line. If we could take that every night, I'd look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those guys are really good players. They're continuing to learn how to play together. That's something that we work on on a daily basis. And, um, you know, they're, they're fun guys to coach, and I'm excited about to see how they can grow as basketball players, you know, individually and really collectively as a group to help our basketball team this year. The other guy that's going to be adding to your squad new is the transfer, Derek Woods. What are you expecting from him this year? Well, you know, Eric Carter, you know, one, I think he's done a fabulous job of kind of taking ownership of that starting position. And, um, you know, Derek brings us some athleticism, some intensity, a guy that can really rebound the basketball. Unfortunately for him last night, he got in foul trouble, had to take him out of the game. And it was a little bit of a tough matchup uh, for us to be able to play two big guys. I think that's something that we got to consider moving forward. We were kind of playing, you know, four round one or five out with some smaller guys on the floor last night. But he's a physical present. He's a crafty guy around the basket, a back to the basket score. He can step out and and shoot it from the three-point line. He's got to continue to improve his habits on a daily basis. But, you know, a guy that he's going to be in there and he's going to have an opportunity um, when we head down to Richmond next week. So I'm excited to see how he can, can develop and be ready to help us compete, you know, on both ends of the floor. And is, is that something you want to do more of the, the two big guys um, or still kind yeah, of that four yeah. around one? Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, with our group, again, we do have some depth on the front line, but we do have some really good guards. Um, in an ideal world, I like a four around one kind of motion offense where we play around one big guy. I think it gives us give our, gives our guards some areas to attack. It's our unpredictable movement is kind of uh, to our advantage, and that's how we work. But you know, there's nights we got to play however we need to to win, and some nights it might be with two big guys. And when we get into the CAA play, there's teams that play two front line guys that mm-hmm. you know we're going to have to have some big uh, bodies in there to battle on the backboard and, and keep those guys off the glass. So um, again, it's it's scouting report awareness and who we're playing, and, and I think that'll dictate a little bit how we want to play. This past fall, after every Delaware football game, we produced what we called the Delaware Football Roundup, where we recapped and then gave you an analysis of each and every Delaware football game as the season unfolded. Our goal was to really bring you a deep-diving analysis that you couldn't get anywhere else if you were a hardcore Delaware football fan. With a little extra flair, we mixed in some highlights and Quotes from after the game of head coach Danny Rocco and players who were available for post-game comment. 
And we really tried to give you that deep dive analysis that we don't necessarily have the full time to do on our Thursday show. So most of the time it was Teddy Gelman and I hopping down here in the studio Saturday night after the game or Sunday morning. Sometimes Michael Bono also gave us a spot start if the Blue Hens were on the road. And it was a pretty interesting Delaware football season. The Blue Hens finished 7-4 and overall, 5-3 and in the CAA after a disappointing season-closing loss to the Villanova Wildcats, 28-7, which sealed the Blue Hens' fate as not a playoff team, but certainly a team that's on the rise and that we'll keep following with a close eye throughout the spring and into the summer and fall season. Without any further ado, here are some sounds from the Delaware Football Roundup. Welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup on WVUD. Alongside Brandon Holvec, I'm Teddy Gelman. The Delaware Blue Hens face off in their season opener against the Delaware State Hornets. Four and seven each of the last two years. I think you got to feed off the fans. This is the first game. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement. He says this is one of the most talented teams he has ever coached. Rose complete. Touchdown, Blue Hens. Deontay Cherry. Picked off by Nigel Hill. That'll all but do it for the Delaware State Hornets. This stadium. Here come the Hokies, hold 65,000. And it's something that the Blue Hens have never seen before. Virginia Tech defeating the Blue Hens 27-0. Uh, I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm not discouraged, though. The defense is going to be the heart of this team. Uh, defensively, all in all, pretty good day's work. The Hens make it official. 41-14, to the victory to move them to 2-1 on the season. It was one of those games where if we really would have played a clean game and a complete game, uh, we really could have dominated that scoreboard. We bring this to you following James Madison's 20-10 win in their first CAA game. The Blue Hens fall to 2-2. and He's got a man open and it's intercepted! Screen out to the right to Williams, he drops it, and that's a lateral that is dropped, and that's going to be a turnover and a touchdown for the Duke. The offense was pitiful. Back down to 47 yards today. It looks just like last year. J.P. Caruso is going to be coming in. So Joe Walker is being benched. Pocket collapses and he is down. He is sacked. That will stop the field in their track. The Blue Hens trailed at halftime in this game 20-7, to but then outscored Stony Brook 17 to nothing in the second half. And I think when things really got tight up there Saturday night in the fourth quarter, I think maybe for the first time around here we started recognizing this team thinks they're going to win. It's Delaware versus William & Mary in a classic CAA matchup. Over the middle, east side, Jarman, touchdown, Blue Hens! Delaware comes away with a 17 to nothing victory. It was their best defensive performance to date. Being able to come out here and win against Richmond would certainly be a definitive uh, signature win. And he's up and over and flipping in. He's in for a touchdown. Jamie Jarman had yourself a day. 28-28, 29 seconds left in the game. A little bit over 30-yard field goal. The kick is up. And it's blocked! The stadium in disbelief. We need overtime to settle this one. This is our last chance. It's just one of those days for me that you just gain an even greater appreciation. Players on the Richmond sideline meant an awful lot to me. I think Caruso came into his own there late in the game. We just believe. We told each other that, you know, we got this. We're going to pull this up. 18-17 upset loss at Towson. 
Delaware did not show up to play. It was a game in which Delaware led 14-3. to It was a trap game for them, and they fell right into that trap. The Delaware Blue Hen traveling north to take on the Maine Black Bears. Caught by Joe Walker into Maine territory. Walker's still on his feet. Under pressure, now he rolls. Looking, he's got a man open. Caught for the touchdown. That's Brandon Whaley. And they put a stranglehold on this one from Portland. Uh, we did a lot today with Joe Walker. I mean, I always know how to catch the ball. I just never played the position. With the win, the Blue Hens back up to the top of the CAA. Delaware 6-3 and three on the season, playing host to the Albany Great Danes. Walker is loose inside the 30-yard line and down. Uh-oh, he fumbles the football. He's up for grabs. It's intercepted. Blaine Woodson gets it off the tip. Or it catches my eye every single day. Touchdown, Corey Sproul. I told him four weeks ago. So we're going to need you in November. A good rushing attack has the potential to get even better. Under center is the quarterback, Shetlick. He's going to take his keeper, and he's in the end zone. Villanova advances their lead to four scores, and the Blue Hens season falling apart at the seams. The Blue Hens fall to the Wildcats 28-7, to finishing the regular season with a record of 7-4 and and 5-3 and in the CAA. Based on the pool of candidates... This team uh, deserved an opportunity uh, to participate uh, in the postseason, and we were denied that opportunity. We were, without a doubt, the fourth team in our league, without a doubt. There was no statistical data that would have supported a thought that there was a fourth team more worthy. You know, we came here to uh, do something extraordinary with our program, and I think that uh, we uh, took a step forward, and we certainly remain on track. When I came in Sunday morning, and I did all the research that I had done, there was nothing that would lead me to think that we would not be in the field. The CAA merits four teams. Here are a few more of our favorite moments from Blue Hen Sports Cage. You know, there's one thing that's really been bothering me today, and I said I was going to bring it up because I want to see your guys' reactions here. And you wouldn't tell us in the in the yeah, green so, room, so, so telling us now. I was going for a run about two hours ago before the show, and as I'm starting my run, I see this girl walking back with a backpack on, so I assume she's walking home from class, and she's just holding a burrito in her hand. No foil, no nothing. She's just holding Is she it. eating it? It's it's three quarters of the way eaten, and she's just walking with it down the street. And it just, just frustrated me the rest of my run. Why would you walk down the street just holding a burrito completely exposed, mid-eating, you know, my burritos tend to fall apart as I'm eating them in my hands, and then I eat the rest of it with my fork. And she's walking down the street with the three-quarters of the way full burrito. Chicken or beef? I would guess chicken. Um, if you had to guess an institution? Glance, I ran by. Everybody needs a if challenge, If I had to guess, though. I would guess Chipotle. Okay. You, you got to push yourself to the next level. Once you can accomplish eating, sitting down, next step, eating while walking. You have to challenge yourself. Never seen this before. I mean, I think it's kind of 
college in a nutshell, right? <laughs> you just uh, got I have ten be minutes to eat, sleep, to go, do an assignment, and get to class. People to see. Got to combine them. I mean, it, it's kind of like it's a little like not domestic to just be walking around campus. Everybody needs with a an hobby. Exposed burrito, like a fistful of uh, burrito, and, like no foil, right? No nothing. I see where you're coming from, I, and I can but, see why that would throw off the rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs> you see that? I we'll talk about things on the run today. I. I actually almost got attacked by a dog again today mm. when I was running. Wait, again? You did again? Yeah, yeah. he told me his story the first time. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's happened multiple times. Um, Amit, did you run today? Jake, did you run today? Uh, I ran. We ran to Duncan before yeah, the game. Yeah, we got great donuts. Show. Um, but I no, I, I did not cream. run today. Yeah. I didn't run yesterday either. Or the day before that, to be totally fair. Yeah, I can keep that up for a while. Uh, he, we had a glazed, we ran to Duncan, I had a Boston cream, so... No, we did not run <laughs> or do anything of that nature. Let's go around the NFC. Go Eagles right now. And I want to go to the two Eagles fans in the room to start. And then and then Jake and I can give our, our um, thoughts here. Obviously, it's demoralizing. You lose a guy who's a, a top candidate for the MVP, Carson Wentz, having a great season. Nick Foles comes in. He's one of the better backups in the NFL. Is there hope? Correct me if I'm wrong. Real quick, Brandon. Two out of the next three, and Eagles have a very solid chance of getting that first NFC spot. That's all he needs to do, correct? They need to just win. If they win this weekend against the Giants, they will secure a first-round bye. So that would be the first seed or the second seed. Mm -hmm. And then they would either need Minnesota to start losing a little bit more, or you know, win one of those next two games, right. which are against Oakland and Dallas. So short-term, things look things looking good for Foles. He's got two two out of the three games should be fairly easy, and that's all he has to really do. I think looking short-term, not talking about the playoffs yet, I feel pretty confident in, in Nick Foles. I'll, I'll speak to kind of the, the bigger picture yeah. large to give my feeling on Sunday. Um, and I talked to Teddy about this earlier in the week because – you know, as as non-Eagles fan, it could be kind of difficult to understand maybe why it seems like Eagles fans maybe have given up hope or maybe think it's not going to happen when, you know, an outsider looks and says, well, Nick Foles, you know, 2013, he had the third best season in NFL history by passer rating when he threw for 27 touchdowns and had just two interceptions. He's definitely a viable backup. But why this is disheartening is because Carson Wentz, is this team. He's the face of this team, no doubt. He's one of the best things to happen to Philadelphia sports basically ever. He was in the midst of arguably the best season by an Eagles quarterback ever. And what he literally threw the Eagles franchise record touchdown three plays after he tore his ACL in a cruel twist of fate giving him the most touchdowns in single season history for the Eagles, but putting him out for the season. He had a grimace on his face as he did it, and it was an amazing throw. And and it's tough because you look at how this team is structured, even though it's just year two of Carson Wentz, and he's going to be in a Philadelphia uniform for as long as he can play, this might have been their best chance, and still is a good chance, but it's certainly not as good a chance. It might have been their best chance to win a Super Bowl, to win the first ever Super Bowl in Eagles history because after this year, a few of their very important players come off the books, most notably linebacker Nigel Bradham. And then eventually down the road, you're going to have to give Carson Wentz 
one of those massive quarterback deals. He will get the biggest contract of all time when he is up, whatever that might be at that point. And as we saw with Seattle a few years ago when they had to pay Russell Wilson, as we saw with Baltimore in 2012 when they had to pay Joe Flacco, once you have one of those big quarterback deals, all of a sudden you're shedding veterans left and right to stay under the salary cap, and it depletes your team. Right now the Eagles, I think, it's probably safe to say are the most well-rounded team in football, maybe not the best, but they have talent at every position, and in some time down the road, it's going to be a lot more on Carson Wentz. And now you talk about Wentz not being ready for week one next year. Is Wentz ever going to be the same as he is now? So this season, there's still a good chance with Nick Foles, and it has happened before, and it's happened in worse situations. But with Carson Wentz, this was maybe the best chance for the Eagles ever, and who knows what Carson Wentz looks like when he comes back, because such a big part of his game is that mobility and his ability to be fearless and run outside the pocket and get hit. And does that change when he comes back? Might not even be ready for week one, is the report. the University of Delaware Athletic Department decided to try something new. And what they decided to try was to create a public naming contest for these live blue hens. Brandon did a story for the review about how these, this came into effect. The collaboration between the College of Ag and Natural Resources and Athletics and how they're bringing in live chickens, live blue hens. So they let the public create naming suggestions. Well, it was a terrible idea, and this is why. The final three names are as follows. Number one, Captain Cluckers. Number two, Private Poultry. And number three, Corporal Doodle Doo. I would like to know if this was submitted by people in elementary school or the rest of people in our public, because this is embarrassing. Now, if we're supposed to be a menacing, a intense, school with these powerful athletics in the CAA and we're going to call our blue hens Corporal Doodle Doo, Private Poultry and Captain Cluckers. I can barely say it without laughing. I'm really trying my best right now. It's pretty hard not to say these names without laughing. This is embarrassing. I'm sorry for all of those who really wanted to represent it. This is sad. On a lighter note, or maybe not on a lighter note, he's, um, drugs is not a joke, kids, but, um, and I asked Teddy before what, um, what the fine line of the topic I can talk about. There's no pun intended here, but Dolphins offensive line coach resigns after a video of him snorting a powdery white substance. We don't allegedly, allegedly, um, has surfaced. Well, there's a video. It could be, it could be, you know, it could be pop rocks. It could be, you know, powdered sugar. Who knows? Everyone has a hobby. Okay. This surfaced and, my man resigned, and this is just very embarrassing for the Dolphins. The Dolphins, a spokesperson for the Dolphins, has confirmed that it is him. And again, this is not a good look for your team, for your organization, especially with everything going on. There is a drug epidemic going on, on a more serious note. And now there's girls coming out. This was something in Las Vegas that probably happened. Not sure, but this has been going on a while for him, and that he used 
her and there's a lot of money and stuff involved. Guy's name is Chris Forrester, now is looking for a job. Hey, Chris Forrester, cocaine is not everything that is cracked up to be. So, find a new hobby. He was actually making over a million dollars. He was... Mm. The- it was one of the best offensive. He was one of the best <laughs> offensive line coaches in football. I mean, that was a creepy video. If you haven't seen it, it's all over the place. But that was creepy. He's gone. What a mess for the Dolphins. And Jake, now everybody knows. Yeah, just knows N O S E. Make knows. sure you don't watch this in a public place. Make no. sure you and make sure you have headphones in or something because yeah. this video, for those yeah. who don't have context on it, and if they're hearing it off to the side, is not the uh, greatest thing. He to was hear. snorting it with a twenty. You know what I mean? I would just get like a, a dollar bill or something. I'm broke. I don't have that kind of money. He's making a million dollars. I've never seen that. A crackhead with $20 bills. That's and again, he was, about to yeah. be, he was about to go to a meeting. So he's gone. He has... I, I'm not even sure if they fired him or if he resigned. He resigned. He, he resigned. Yeah. resigned. Not that it would have changed the outcome. Not that, if he yeah. You know what else needs to, to be gone and has only been here for, I think, two weeks? Are those names that you talked about, Teddy? When I saw that at the JMU I, football I don't, game, I don't know if I I conveyed so, that as as well as I should have. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, I was very excited about this. I wrote the story. I thought it was really interesting, and then that totally killed it for me. Like, I'm I'm out on this now. I, mean, I thought it was come a great on, idea. Was private and now I'm out. poultry. <laughs> yes, I just want to call Doodle Do. Imagine that's the worst one. Corporal Doodle Do is a lost cause. There's no help in Corporal Doodle Do. <laughs> Jake. Captain Clucker. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Imagine spending all this money, all this time, all this editing, and you have a bird These interns worked all summer on training these birds just for the public to name them Corporal Doodle-Doo. And now the face of the UD Blue Hens is a very (laughs) unique name called Captain Cluckers. Is that what you spent all summer on? Uh, Listen, whenever I... If my next life is as a Blue Hen... I, w- I wouldn't mind having like a private poultry sticker on me running around, okay. but not for a football team, not to represent sure. the the like, fighting blue hens. Like as, as a threesome, they call them the brigade. Down with that. I'm fine. Call them the brigade. <laughs> like like that's okay. It's not it's not awful, right? It's it's okay. But the individual names, I was so disappointed when I saw that up on the jumbotron at JMU. Just mad, like all my like, tuition dollars. Plenty of people submitted names. They all probably couldn't have been that childish and. Corny like yeah. that. Somebody had to have wrote down Steve, and they could have picked that. Yeah. Well, the, you, it's clear. Do you guys have any off the top of your head that would have been better? Um, Jake, I, I know you have one. <laughs> you know, right when I heard this, my mind is churning trying to figure it out. Yeah. And the first thing I thought of was let's do something with poultry, but private poultry was already taken, so I feel like yeah. I've been attacked. But I think like Brandon brought up the good point of Steve. I'm actually going to bring up the good point. I think I'm going to name one of them Teddy, and just let Teddy like the Blue Hen just. That, yeah. that stri- strike Corporal fear Doodle in Doodle. the enemy's eyes. What, what is that supposed to mean? Nothing. I just think it, that would be a great name. Like Brandon but, just said, and Steve we're just going to narrow it down to one name is the winner? One, no, there's three. Oh, and we're keeping all three. We're not, not going to get rid of the birds at this point. I mean, I don't know what <laughs> we're doing with them. That would be a total other conversation <laughs> they, right they, now. They, they, gonna... spent, they spent the whole summer training them. <laughs> and oh, I thought these were the finalists. Are these the final? No, they, no, they, they, like they already this. picked these three. They, oh, they already picked these three. Like these, okay. This is this is apparently okay. the cream of the crop. Okay. <laughs> what was submitted? Oh come on. Okay, let's. Not that we can do this, but can you imagine? I what, mean, if, what if these 
these, these chickens go through all this training, and then somebody looks at them and say, hey, Corporal Doodle Doo. I mean, come on now. G- give me till the end of the show, and I will have at least two better names. I think that we need to call Pito, because this is just getting ridiculous, and we need to leave these birds alone. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm torturing these birds with these stupid names. Well, well, both of uh, Jake and Brandon, both of you are going to be down there from the football game, so maybe... I won't be making a visit to the... Uh, <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, I totally be there. I, no, that. I was going to say, go go meet them beforehand and, and introduce yeah. yourself. Do they, they like they pick an great. egg with the names on the team? You know how like an octopus used to pick the World Cup winners or something? Do they make predictions or something? Do they... What? Crack what, what, whatever Corporal Doodle Doo does, I'm behind him. You That's don't remember that, Teddy? There's an I'm octopus and there's two there. soccer balls <laughs> in no. the aquarium. An, and o- picked, an octopus. And he picked one for the championship game. He does this all the time. It was like a famous octopus. He picks games. <laughs> I don't know. Where maybe they can, off the rails. Maybe they, can, maybe they can pick a game. <laughs> I don't know. Please find What's the genesis of the octopus? He was games. a FIFA. He was a FIFA octopus. He picked games, and he was like 16 for 12. You, all right, I just googled online to try and look for chicken names, and we we've missed like uh, Attila the Hen. Come on, how do we miss that? How that's, did that slip through the cracks? That's funny. Uh, that's that's a scary. Give me team at name. least one more. Uh, Albert Eggstein. No, that's a no for me. <laughs> that, that doesn't beat that's Captain no. Cluckers by much. It does. It beats Teddy Bear. In my Albert Eggstein got Teddy. It's a no for me, dog. <laughs> that, I, come on, though. These names suck. Well, they, give they, us names on Twitter. Give us. We want to yeah. hear what people. Well, well, they already did this. This is what no, they did. No, they canvassed, do they canvassed names from everybody in the Delaware community, and these are the three best ones. Apparently, we will raise. <laughs> we will GoFundMe page for an extra chicken, and ninety-one point three will have their own chicken, and we will go from there. No, okay? I think that's a good idea. Our audience may have not provided names, yeah. so please, please uh, at WVUD Sports on Twitter. What would you name y- these chickens right now? The th- well, they're not. It's not. They're not going to be changed clearly because this is what we <laughs> it got. It doesn't have to be there PG. Are, there know, are. You can... These are the names: Captain Cluckers, Private Poultry, and Corporal Doodle Doo. Can you do better than that? At WVUD Sports on Twitter, or you can call our studio line. 302-831-2701. Anthony in the next room is going to be able to uh, pick up, and he'll be able to not jot those down. What would you name your chickens? Wow, we're really off the rails right now. I did not think we'd get to this point. Just a few minutes ago, we were talking about names for the uh, Blue Hen chickens after the naming contest, and we did have a name come in. Winston Willie was the name. Already better than any of the other, like the three that we got. I completely, I completely agree. I mean, once again, if you're just joining us, thank they, you for calling, though. Yeah, thank you for calling, and we are, we are questioning the names of these three chickens, the live mascots after the naming contest. Number one, Captain Cluckers. Number two, Private Poultry, and number three, Corporal Doodle Doo. Tweet us at WVUD Sports. Call in 302-831-2701. The phone lines if, are open. Do you have anything better than those? And which one's the worst of those? And which right one is the worst? For the room. The toss-up. If uh, you guys are I'm doo 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 very me, serious about going like quarter halvesies on a chicken right now. All right, private <laughs> poultry is easily at the top of those three, and I don't want to hear anything about anyone. Yeah, private yeah, poultry is the yeah. MVP. Like we, if we had to, we could leave that. Yeah, one. but yeah. then it's it's a fight amongst the bottom two, whichever one's going to be the worst. I have no idea. I can't even stoop to that level. <laughs> like Captain Cluckers is still pretty bad. I can't believe we're still talking about this. <laughs> well, I saw the fame. I saw the name pull up my laptop, because and I showed it, Brandon other ones. So like, bad. all right, so another one on the list that I just saw that I was dying for. Yoko Ono? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yoko Ono. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Maybe you get a Kyle Yoakum kind of type what, deal going wasn't there? Even, you, I know you, you were thinking Google about it. it. Look it up. I know if, you were if you don't get the reference it, on that, maybe yeah, one more time. It's not a Kyle Yoakum. Two for one, maybe? Buy one, oh, get one free? Cluck Norris, game over. <laughs> oh, that's, why is that not... <laughs> you want, you want a fierce, intimidating what's name. What's a Delaware pun, though? You know what I mean? Like, it has to be... Has to I be the other mascot's already called UD. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Can't get more pun than that. Maybe something with blue in it. That's a stretch. Blue hen. We already got it. There you go. We won. (laughs) Or gold. I don't know. Another one of our initiatives this fall was to launch Uncaged, which is a lighthearted, more comedic take on the day's sports news with Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert. I'm the producer. And our our goal is to kind of get you to be the fly on the wall. Have it just be our regular conversations about sports the way that these guys talk about it around campus right here in the studio, in the lounge, and let you listen in on what's going on in the sports world. Ahmed and Jake also bring in some of their friends with sports knowledge, and we'll also have a few more guests lined up for the new year. They also have a special in the works for the beginning of January. We'll kind of see together what it'll turn out to be. I'm not quite sure either, but here are a few of the best moments from just the beginning, a dabble for the first short season of Uncaged. Definitely more on the way in 2018. Trust the process. Hashtag trust the process. In the greatest transition of all time. All right. Tweet of the tweet of the year. Definitely. So far. Well, a year is kind of hefty. I know what you're about to say. But, but okay. So Kyrie Irving, now in the Boston Celtics, is doing everybody dirty. Yeah. There, besides losing to Detroit last oh, night, oh yeah, they did lose to which Detroit, which was kind of sad. I mean, they're still what eighteen and four or something. They're still on top of the East, yeah. but Cavs are coming at them. But anyway, eight in a row. Kyrie Irving hit one of the most disgusting Euro step hezy layups the world is ever going to see with their own two eyes. And then somebody tweeted, like, I'll, I'll try to get the. Um, Let's see if I can find it. Uh, let's do Ky- about him dying. Yeah, like about when the Grim Reaper uh, comes for Kyrie Irving. Kyrie's gonna hezzy lay up away from the Grim Reaper and walk away and live for the next uh, He's five just gonna, six like, years. Sham got him and like, move on. First of all, if you haven't seen the video, highly recommend you just go Google it. We'll post it. Oh, here it is. I found it. I'll, I'll give him credit. Uh, the individual's name is Shay Serrano. Good, good for you. He solid uh, follow. He said, "When death finally comes for Kyrie, I fully expect him to hezzy pull up right past the Grim Reaper and live for like five more years." Oh my god! There is an expletive in there. I decided to skip it. I was a great, great tweet. Put a link on it.
Let's start off with that Flacco hit. It was a Thursday night blowout, Ooh. and my man's got rocked. Speaking of getting blown out, Kiko yeah. Alonso decided that he's going to take Joe Flacco into the entire next wow. continent. Real quick, you also got your ear blown out, Rich, <laughs> in, in high school. In the greatest in high school. transition of all time. <laughs> Talk about when you got well, blown you're out. Why are my ear? All right. Do you really want to tell a story? Go ahead, tell the story. All yeah, right, give us a little we'll, synopsis. We'll, we'll keep it nice and short. Okay. Um, this is back in the day when Ahmed was on the baseball team in high yeah. school. No way. Yes, was, he was. I was basura, but yeah, yeah right. I was. All right. Back when Ahmed was, yeah. So uh, we're on the baseball. We got a baseball game, having a weight game. So everyone's scrambling, trying to get on the bus. And um, you guys know the L screens, right? That a pitcher pitches behind during bat and practice. Well, they had an L screen, and it was leaned up uh, against uh, a handicap railing. And I happened to be running on the other side of that railing. I turn around and, you know, I'm trying to be cool, light little jog, talking to a girl. <laughs> side of my head, I guess I'm running pretty fast, run straight into an L screen. Oh, my God. And uh, I'm trying to play it off. I hit it pretty hard. Yeah. But everybody's laughing and, you know, the girl I like is, is watching. And yeah. So I try to act like nothing happened. And so the L screen, like Mike Tyson's your ear, right? Yeah. So I get inside the next hallway. I'm running down the hallway and I look down and I have blood. All over me. I would turn around the hallway and there's just a, a trail of blood following me. Oh my me. god! Not so nice. So I, nice. I go up to a little fire extinguisher um, case and I look in and a quarter of my ear is missing. And casual. Something happened here. Yeah. And I have you no ear. To a girl, she's like, "Oh, what's up with you? <laughs> what's up?" So I, long story short, plastic surgery, ears back on. So we're good. He also got stitches. Flacco got stitches on his ear. Oh, he got messed up. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you take of this fight? The fight I thought itself was Buns, but Aqib Talib, mad Buns. I just didn't like the move. If you go back to like chain snatching, that's kind of like a that's kind of a thing. It's not like, oh, he just ripped my jewelry off. That's kind of like a degrading thing to do. It's kind of like you're mine now. Y- yeah. I own you type you stuff. You don't rip a man's chain off. That's, you know what I mean? Wrong. You don't rip another man's chain off or a woman's or you don't. You don't rip anyone's you, col- you know, For those off. of you who don't know, like Urban Dictionary it. Like, what does ripping a chain off mean? You don't do that, Mad Buns. I got a good one for you. The hurry up is back in UCLA. Chip Kelly, how do you like that move? I'm going to hit you with the hurry up back, Mad Buns. Oh. Chip Kelly, whatever team Hashtag he was on. Eagles. The Eagles, the Niners, uh, nothing really great came out of it. Not going to say he was terrible, but... UCLA doing some things this year, but, man. <laughs> like, UCLA can't get anything in line. They... they <laughs> Mad buns. I don't see anything good coming out of it. I don't see them anything bad coming out of it, but I'm just going to give it mad buns. <laughs> We're going to head to a sort of joke ma- buns, mad buns, but a sort of serious buns, mad buns. The Cleveland Browns are 0 and 11. This, I think this is the third time they've made our buns, mad buns segment. Is it fair? This is a serious buns, mad because 0 and, mm-hmm. 0 and 8, 0 and 9, they're the Cleveland Browns, whatever. Yeah. But they're 0-11 here. I think they play the Chargers this week, which was Oh, the... they're going 0-16 if that's what you're getting to. Well, they play the Chargers. They beat the Chargers last year. The Chargers are better this year. Mm-hmm. They have Keenan Allen healthy. Phillip Rivers is putting up 40,000 yards a game. Sixth or seventh in, like, the playoff race, essentially. Are, and we're going to temper our expectations because they're the Cleveland Browns here. Mm-hmm. But are the Cleveland Browns seriously, like, genuine mad buns? 
genuine mad buns. I think that there has something needs to happen over there. And I don't want to say a complete makeover because they've been doing complete makeovers for 10 years now. The only consistency they had was that one uh, outside. or Joey Thomas. Joey Thomas. Hunt, what is it? 10,000, 11,000 career snaps. Well over 10,000 snaps, and now he's out. That record, that record is never getting broken. That is tough. And I don't know what has to happen, but I think they should let like me and you coach or something, but something else needs to happen. Chris Collinsworth. Um, that's my buns or mad buns. Um, he had a comment about Hunley. Um, Hunley had a great game. Packers did lose to the Steelers on Sunday night. And he said, I quote, as great of, as great as of a game Hunley has had, I don't think, or I guess that's not what he, exactly what he said, but he said, I don't it. know, I don't know, yeah, I'm going to paraphrase it, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers could have had a better game than Hunley has had today. And I had to immediately turn the TV off after I'm not that. taking anything away from Hunley right there. He had a great game against mm-hmm. a normally good Pittsburgh Steelers right. defense. He played awesome. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that, Brett Hundley did a better job than the second most talented quarterback in the NFL. Yes. That's a hot take alert because I, <laughs> I think Tom Brady's still more talented. But the second most talented quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks to play. I, I have Aaron Rodgers in the top 10 of all time. I have Aaron Rodgers I mean, in the not top to 8 say, of like, all time. Maybe Aaron Rodgers in that specific game wasn't going to be as good. But, but you're telling me he hasn't done what Hunley did like on a regular basis? I, Stop it, Chris Collins. I'm not going to tell you here. I'm not going to say that Josh McCown with 300 yards and three touchdowns had a great game. But I don't think Tom Brady would have had a better game. Like, that's that's absurd. I don't care who puts up good numbers. If they put up 47,000 yards and 84 touchdowns, fine. Okay? But a three-touchdown game is easily... Dupli- duplicatable, or if that's even a word, I just coined it. You, 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 I can't even comment on that. First of all, Chris Collinsworth in general. Yeah, I'm gonna put him at bad buns. We'll do it for our best of 2017 Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We'd like to take this moment to thank you, the listener, for giving us support all throughout 2017 and continuing to listen and download our show. We're up over 2,500 podcast downloads, approaching 3,000 rapidly. And I think when we launched this back in the spring, the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast, I don't think we ever imagined having that kind of uh, following. And we wish to continue to grow that following so please word of mouth everybody you know who is a delaware football season ticket holder Baden's basketball season ticket holder we want them listening to this show we want to be the best source for your blue hen sports news and analysis hopefully we present ourselves as some sort of authority on the position of blue hen sports as the four of us really do try to dive into all that's going on with the major teams here and we're at most of the games broadcasting for wvud and then giving our takes on blue hen sports cage and also give us your feedback on how we can make the show better we have a lot of fun getting in here on thursdays and putting together the show so it is a lot of fun for us but the show is really for you guys the listeners so give us your feedback hit us up on twitter at wvud sports you can email us udbluehensportscage at gmail.com you can find all of our individual contacts at sites.udel.edu backslash the cage wvud so please check that out and 
just to let you know, Blue Hen Sports Cage and Uncaged will be back in the new year. An Uncaged special is on tap. We have Blue Hen Sports Cage every Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m. on WVUD. Thank you once again for your support all throughout 2017. Have a great holiday season, and we'll see you.